We're here again on a Wednesday night. This is December 7th, and we've been going through Deuteronomy on Wednesdays. But I'm going to mention a couple verses out of Colossians. We've been doing Colossians on Sunday. And the first four verses that we read out of Colossians chapter 3, I want you to notice something. And this is, it's about being alive, getting life back after uh, either being dead with Christ and then being, being resurrected with Him. Because the first verse of chapter 3 of Colossians says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So, how do you become more spiritually minded, heavenly minded, compared to being uh, more carnally minded and, and worldly minded? So you got those two things that you can be. Some people try to handle both. They try to be both. They've got one foot in the world, one foot in, in heaven. You know, they, they are <clears throat> torn between. We need to put our thoughts on heavenly things. Three says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, then ye shall ye also appear with him in glory. So, Jesus told the Sadducees, and I'm just doing this from memory. It just popped into my head a little bit ago. And the Sadducees, or the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Sadducees, they all tried to... Uh, get Jesus in a tight spot, asking him some questions that were really difficult. And one of the questions that the Sadducees asked, because they didn't believe in a resurrection, they didn't believe in angelical-type things, uh, and they were referring to the law that Moses gave them for the nation of Israel. If, a, if your brother was married and he dies before he brings uh, uh, offspring into this world, then it was, it was expected that a brother would take that wife, who is now a widow, and have a son for his brother so they can carry on the name, and the family uh, inheritance would stay in the family. That was just something that they do. So they said, well, what if... Uh, the one brother marries her, and then he dies also, and then the other brother uh, marries, and he dies also. And it, and it was just some ridiculous question. And it was seven husbands that she had on earth, and then in the resurrection, whose husband will actually be hers? You know, and, and Jesus just looked at him like, y'all are idiots. I mean, he didn't say that, but he, you, that's what you kind of get from it. It's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. But he ends up finishing up with saying that he was not, uh, God was not the God of the dead, but of the living. So it, that, it just popped into my, my mind. 
And what we've been doing in Deuteronomy, Moses has been explaining to the nation of Israel, talking about their past, their history, why they were in the situation they were in. And if you, he's just given them the, the last week on Wednesday, we were, he was talking about all of the people who offended and were disobedient by going after Baal Peor, they're all dead. And then he says, but you guys that are all here listening to me, you did not disobey and you're alive. So what, what is Moses trying to tell the people? What is the Bible in Deuteronomy telling us today? It's telling us the same thing. If you get caught up in the worldly things, you're going to be uh, pulled in the wrong direction, and it's going to lead to judgment and death, disobedience and death. Or you can stay away from those things and look to the Lord and live. So over in Deuteronomy... Uh, so what I want to do this week is, you know, we, we got through verse 24 last week, but this week, and, and I kind of hinted to it, huh? Uh, we're in 4, Deuteronomy 4. So I kind of hinted, I believe, that some of these things that I could, I could go back and talk about, or do we keep going on? But I think it's important that we understand some of the things he's talking about. So if I say, uh, all right, so in, this, is, this is Deuteronomy 4, and this is 3, verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. So what is Baal Peor? What is he talking about? So we haven't gone through the book of Numbers, so you may not understand what that is and what was so bad about it to where everybody who participated in that died. And it, the reason they're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years when they should have been there in 11 days. So they've been wandering. So uh, turn back, if you would like, to Numbers chapter 25. And this is going to be listed as uh, the doctrine of Balaam. Now, we... In 25, even in 24, leading up to this story of, of Baal Peor, it doesn't actually tell you right here that this is what Balaam did. I can remember knowing that Balaam suggested this, and Balaam's the one that got them to fall from within, not being able, he, he wasn't able to curse them. The, Balak, the king of the Moabites, had tried to get Balaam, who was very well known, to be able to bless people, and they would be blessed, 
or to curse people and they would be cursed. And that, that king saw the nation of Israel coming. They saw and heard about all the nations that they fought against and how they utterly destroyed them. And he's thinking he's next. And he needs somebody to help him with this situation. And he's thinking Balaam might be the answer. So they offer Balaam, he's the one that had the talking donkey, which is an awesome story. So he is offered a lot of money to put a curse on those people. Balaam went to God, God Almighty, and said, probably said, hey, uh, the, this king wants me to do this. Is that okay with you? And, and God's like, no. So we do know that God said, no, you cannot curse them for they are a blessed people. And, and Balaam, don't know how much he argued about it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he knew better. And he, and he just went back to the messengers and said, I can't do it. <laughs> but if you go back and read the story, you're going to see where he puts a little uh, bug in their ear. He, he, he kind of gives them something to take back to the king and he, because he said, if Balak was to give me his house full, you know, full of how, uh, gold and silver, I couldn't. I st-. So he was like, you know, if you offer me a whole, whole lot of money, maybe I think about it. You kind of pick up on that if you, when you read that story. So, but, and, and what happens is Balak keeps coming back and offering more. And Balaam keeps saying, God won't let me. Do it. He won't let me curse him. You got, you, so my point is, you don't, you don't see it. Now, if you have a Schofield Bible, which I know you do, the heading at the beginning of 25 in Numbers, it says the doctrine of Balaam. You have the way, you have the way of Balaam, you have the doctrine of Balaam, and you have the error of Balaam that we have, I've preached about uh, many, many months ago. And you can see that in Jude... Different, different places in the New Testament, you can see those things. Balaam is brought back up at least three times in the New where it'll talk about the doctrine of Balaam, the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam was just, he wanted money. He could be bought. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam is what we're going to study tonight, what he introduced, and, and the doctrine was showing the king hey, we can't go after them and battle them or actually put a curse on them, but I can tell you how you can get them to mess up and God will have to judge. So this is what we're going to do. Now you don't see that here. So how can they put that heading there, the doctrine of Balaam, when we haven't seen any of that? When you get over to 31... If you want to turn, I'll show it to you. If you go to 31, verse 16, I believe. All right, so this is after, and uh, they have to go after the Midianites. God has told the people to go after it, because they, they, they uh, fall into the sin that we're going to study about tonight. But then afterward, God said, you're going to go after the Midianites, and you're going to wipe them out. And this, but when you get to 31, you see that. Also, Balaam dies in this battle. Balaam himself suffers the consequences of what he did. 
So they go into battle and they bring back a bunch of women. And Moses is upset with them and he says, didn't you not, did you not, uh, in 15 it says, and Moses said unto them, have ye saved all the women alive? So they, they didn't want to kill the women, but they were supposed to kill a good portion of them, only the young women. Be, 16 says, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam, there it is, right there, to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill, kill every male among, among the little ones and kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. So only the virgin girls were spared. All the rest of them were killed. <clears throat> now, a lot of people have trouble with the Bible. There are some people that are okay with the New Testament. They cannot stand to read the Old Testament, and that's the reason why. That's one of the reasons why. They just cannot understand how God himself, a loving God, could say, wipe them all out and, and wipe out all the women. And that's because we as, as a country, we don't want to do that when we go to a... If we're in a war, you do everything you can to not hurt any civilian and to definitely not hurt any women, children, whatever. And they, they think God is a, a, a mean, angry God to, to call for stuff like this. What they fail to see is that God has given those peoples plenty of opportunity. Usually it's centuries before he finally uh, uh, acts out in judgment on them. Like the city of Nineveh, when Jonah goes in and he spares them, it's probably two or three hundred years later, you, get to, you read the book of, uh, I think it's Nahum, and he, he wipes them out. So he gives them plenty of opportunity. He's long-suffering. He is giving America some time. It won't last forever. Judgment is coming to America. We've, we've done way too much to offend God for it not to happen. But he is long-suffering. All right, so back over at uh, uh, chapter 25 of Numbers. And Israel abode in Chittim... And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now, you're going to see here in a minute, it's not only the daughters of Moab, but there's going to be some Midians that are involved as well. And that's what we just read in 31. That was the Midian women, the Midianites. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, little g-gods. So now that you know what 31.16 says, you know now that Balaam is the one who came up with this idea. So there was these feasts. It was pagan feast, And they invited the people of Israel, the men of Israel. They, they said, hey, uh, these Moabites, they're having these feasts and these celebrations, and it is so awesome you would love it, come on down. So that is a picture of us being enticed to all the pleasures of the world. We need to see that here. That's why we study this. And that's how we apply what we're learning out of the Bible to today. Because this very thing is happening to us individually 
and it has happened to many churches and big, big organization churches, groups have compromised and become friends of the world instead of being separate from sinners, separate from worldly things. We have become very compromised as big churches, some individual churches, and people within the churches we have uh, compromised. So what I, I read, I read this little uh, quote last night at the council meeting in the devotion. What the enemy couldn't, uh, this is talking about what Balaam couldn't do, he couldn't curse them, but he could do something else, a sneaky way. What the enemy couldn't accomplish with curses and fighting, he, Balaam, accomplished with compromise and friendship, friendship, in quotes, quotation marks. So let me read, finish reading over here in 25. So he uh, sacrificed unto their gods, little g gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. If you're following along, look, just pay close attention to when you see gods and little g gods, that's the false gods, and Israel joined himself. So that's just not one person, that's the, the men of Israel. Joined themselves unto Balaam, I mean, I mean unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Alright, now this is very uncomfortable to talk about, but the word joined unto Baal Peor, the reason they use that wording is, is because in that festival and feast time, there were temple prostitutes there. And part of Baal worship, Baal worship was uh, rain, I think it was rain and fertility God. So to entice or to get the fertility God working better, they had prostitutes working as so-called holy prostitutes so that certain things could happen to excite the fertility god, Baal. And men could fall into that, and that's exactly what happened. They actually joined themselves with Baal by participating in that. That's, so now you understand why God was so angry with them. God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Six, and behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianish night, Midianish night, Midianish, uh, Midianish, uh, woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, 
who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So when they got, when the, when the people of Israel who were still back at the camp, they were back at the tabernacle, and they found out what their own men had done, they had gone down and participated, they were weeping for what had happened. And then it says, one of these Israelite dudes has brought back a woman, one of those women from down there, he has actually brought her back to the camp. And right here, it doesn't tell us who it is, but it's going to here in just a minute. In the, he, it wasn't even a shame. She must have been amazing, right? She must have really been awesome because he, he wanted to take her back home. Look, Mom, at my new girlfriend. And she's over there crying. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've done this. Seven. And when Phineas, the son of... You know, I've always said Eliezer. I think it's Eliezer or Eliezer, but I don't think it matters much. But my pronunciation Bible over here makes me think of those things. The son of Aaron... The priest saw it. So Phineas, he is the son of Aaron, and he sees what has happened. He sees what this guy has done, brought this woman back. Now what has happened is he has taken her into his tent. And Phineas is very upset. And, this, and listen to what he does. He rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. That's like a spear. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. So you can tell what they were doing. And he was able with one thrust of the sword to go through both of them. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed, or the plagues stopped at that moment from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 24,000. 24,000 people died of a plague because God put a plague on them because of what happened down there. And it took somebody like Phineas to be outraged and put it to a stop. He, he made a major statement right there by what he did. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. Now, uh, Phineas, he didn't, uh, he didn't know that he was going to get a reward for what he did. It wasn't like he, he did this because he knew he was going to get... Uh, he, he did this out of just pure wanting to end this terrible thing that was happening. But he ends up getting a blessing from God. And he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. You know, some blood has to be shed for, the, for sin. And it was sure shed right there in a bad way, a horrible way. But God is uh, blessing him for it. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that 
was slain with the Midianish woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman, Midianitish woman that was slain was Kazbai. I think that's how you pronounce that. Kazbai. The daughter of Zer, he was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. So she was a princess, basically, and he was a prince. He, he was a, uh, a high-ranking type official. So was she. So they thought they were above the law, maybe, that they can do whatever they want to do. They were both probably spoiled, and they were acting out in lust. They, 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 they were enjoying the lust of the flesh and brought that horrible sin into the camp of Israel, and they paid with their life. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites, and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Kazbai, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. So now that we've already read 31, that ending verse right there matches up with that. So if you're reading the Bible for the first time and you read all of this, you don't get it that it was the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam's the one that taught this to Israel's enemy. So we have to be very careful because a very sneaky, wise enemy, will, is, they're not going to attack us in a way that everybody sees it. Those people who have attacked us on social media and th those type of things, those aren't the ones you have to work with. It's the ones that act like they're your friends that come in amongst you and then they'll bring in things on the inside and cause you to turn from godly things. So here's some, here's some verses for you. James 4.4, 4, what does it say? All right, we just went over James, what, a month ago? So this would be fresh in your mind, so go ahead and quote it for me. James 4.4. 4. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't do it, so I wrote it down. And I'm the one that taught it, but I still had to write it down. Listen to this. This is about being you know, friendship to the world. Ye adulterer... Remember, this is James. Way, way, way toward the end of the Bible. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. What did we just read about? Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, you don't misunderstand. You can be friends and act in kindness to those. Remember what Jesus did. Jesus never condoned the sinfulness of the people, but he did not run from them. He was not going to participate in anything they did, but he would sit down and eat with them and minister to them, and show how much he loved them and wanted them to sin no more, right? So we got to be real careful how we, how we see this. this. We can't get to the point where we are 
isolationist. We just want to be separate from sinners, but we can still walk with them and share the gospel with them. But to go do things that they like to do, that's, that's where you start going the wrong way. Okay, so friendship with the world. And I got an arrow drawing down to friendship with the world leads to love of the world. Now listen to these verses. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Love not the world, neither the, the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that story we just read, does that sound familiar? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They, they were prideful. They weren't even ashamed of what they were doing. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Remember what we read over in Colossians, what we read in, in uh, Deuteronomy 4, that if you were disobedient, um, you, you died. If the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You live. If you're born again, you're going to live forever in eternity. Okay, so after you get to the point of loving the world, that leads to being conformed to the world. If you allow yourself to get into sinful things, then your brain is being rewired. And what you, you can take somebody that would do some type of sin and feel guilty about it, but likes what it, you know, the, 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 it, it could be all kinds of things. You, you can think of whatever. But your brain will start to change inside of your head It'll, it, to where you will want to do it again. You, you can even say, I don't ever want to do that again. Oh, that was wrong. I felt so guilty about it. But then you remember the, the lust of the flesh. And, well, it, it did feel pretty good. So I, and you go back there and you do it again. And then the guilt is not as bad as it was the first time. And your brain's getting rewired even more. It's getting altered to where it becomes very normal for you to do those things. That's being conformed to the world. It started with friendship with the world, which led to love of the world, and then it goes into being conformed. Now, in uh, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, the first part of it says, and be not conformed to this world. I should have asked you to quote it, because that was Sunday school not that long ago. Romans, we went through the whole book of Romans, and that was probably fresh on your mind. I didn't even give you a chance. I'm sorry. And be not conformed to this world. Well, if you get to the point where you're conformed to this world, and you're worldly, and you've turned away from God, you've left Him, then that leads to being judged and condemned. We, we've, we've heard it on what we've been, what we've been reading on Sundays and, and Wednesday nights. So here's uh, Hebrews 10, 
the last part of verse 30 and verse 31. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right, now I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read one chapter and then one verse. It all goes together. All of chapter 6 which is a short chapter. And then the, the, la- the first verse of chapter 7, and that all goes together. Listen carefully, especially when we get to verse 11. So you can listen at 90% for the first 10 verses, but then 100% once I get to 11. Got it? The, this is about the ministry. Anybody who ministers who tries to bring the Word of God to people, it can be a very tough thing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this to the Corinthians, went through a whole list of things. Uh, It was not an easy life trying to minister. He was actually stoned to death. They thought he was dead. They drug his body outside the city, and he, for some reason... I don't know how he did it, but either, either God brought him back to life or he wasn't always dead. They thought he was, and he came back finally and got up and walked away. Shipwrecked so many times. Falsely accused and thrown in prisons. He wrote most, his, some of his best stuff was, was, when he was when he was locked up in, in prison. So this is Paul talking. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes. He got beat several times. In imprisonments, I already talked about that. In tumults, in labors, in watchings. Why? Because they were coming after him. They were always, he'd stay up all night watching because he couldn't go to sleep. He might get killed. In fastings, Why? Because he was always on the run. He was hungry. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. That is why he did all of those things. That's why he went through all of those horrible things, because of all of these things that I just read, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always, always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. See, that's, that's an example of the real, being really, having nothing. Paul was 
running for his life. He, hadn't, he didn't have food. He, he didn't have a place to, to get warm. He had nothing, but yet he knew he was doing it for the more real. And he had everything in heaven. He was laying up treasures in heaven. So he said, he's, he's able to say having nothing and yet possessing all things. See, that is the Christian mindset. You will do and go through anything. We should want to and be able to do that for the purpose of bringing people to him. All right, now you gotta, now you got to pay attention even more. Crank it up to 100. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the, ye are the temple. I'm, I'm in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm at 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. You are. He's, he's looking at these, oh, these Corinthians. He's like, don't you realize that you, if you are truly born again, the Holy Spirit is, is dwelling in you, you are the temple of God. So how could you go after idols? How could you be an adulterer or an adulteress? How can you do those things and take this temple and defile it like that? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Remember, remember, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He must judge. Now, I'm going to read a paragraph out of this little book here. Listen to this. This is good. The church today can learn a lesson from everything I just talked about. The church today. We're, we, we are called to be a separate people who are not conformed to this world. I just read it right here. We talk, we, we, uh, in, uh, be not conformed to this world out of uh, Romans 12, verse, verse uh, 2. And yet the trend today is for churches to pattern ministry after what the world is doing. 
So we got to be careful about... Yeah, that's why some people don't like the contemporary music. I, I think contemporary music, most of what we do here is fine. There's no problem with it. But I went to a big mega church down in North Carolina to visit Lee when he lived down there. And the pastor was a former rock band bass player or something. And he was up there playing guitar and they had drums and it was like being at a rock concert. And they, people, all these young people came to listen to the music because it was like being at a rock concert. So is that, is that being worldly, bringing worldly things into the church just to satisfy people? That's a, something to think about. You know, he can say, well, well, look at all these people we're bringing in. And then we give them the word and, you know, and then they might get saved. Maybe. But churches today, um, so what the world is doing, the philosophy is that the church will attract more people if the lost feel more comfortable with the services. The tragedy is that the sanctuary becomes a theater and ministry becomes entertainment. But scripture and church history make it clear that what G. Campbell Morgan said is true. He's a great minister, did a lot of good work back in the day. He said, the church did the most for the world when the church was the least like the world. That makes sense? The church did the most for the world when the church was the least like the world. See, you don't want to come in out of a, a dark world of sin and walk into the church and see no difference, right? You want to see something different when you come into a church. You want to see something different than what you're seeing out there. Jesus didn't compromise with the world, yet he attracted sinners and ministered effectively to them. Unless we are, are a separated people devoted wholly to the Lord, we can never follow His example. Now you understand, whether you wanted to hear that or not. You can go home and clean up, make you feel better, feel dirty now, after, after reading that. The Bible is R-rated. It is R-rated, I have to say that. And, uh, but it's real world. It's real-world stuff that we're still deal dealing with today. And when we get over to, back over in Deuteronomy, we're, we're done, but let me just tell you about the next thing. And now, you're probably going to hear some of this on Sunday, and you're probably going to hear uh, the next part that Moses is telling the people. After he gets through that, when he gets down to the part where he is telling them that I can't go to the promised land with you guys. Remember that? Moses has ta already told them. He said, y'all are going to the promised land. I'm preparing you to go to the promised land by everything I'm telling you, but I can't go there. And he tells them because of what I did, what I did to, to dishonor God, and you're going to, we, we read right through that, and you, don't, you may not know what he did. Just like you may not have had any idea what Baal Peor was. And there's a reason why they wandered in the wilderness, and it's because of that. 
there is a reason why Moses can't go into the promised land. There's multiple reasons, but, there, but the reason that he, he can't go in actuality, what actually happened was what he, when he disobeyed God, and uh, that's uh, Meribah, which I told y'all many months ago that I wanted to preach a message on, on Meribah, and I haven't got there yet. So maybe this Sunday I might touch on it because it goes right in line with what we're talking about over in, in Colossians. And what we're doing in Deuteronomy, what we've been doing in Colossians, it's all just coming together. It's all coming together. The New Testament writers being, being uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, they mention the Old Testament over and over again. They give you example. So we're kind of blending the two as, you know, if you happen to, if you listen to every podcast or you listen to the CDs, you know, I'm just talking because there's people who's going to, you know, those people who are listening to this on podcast, um, I could mention some names right now and embarrass some people, but uh, that's what we're, you know what's going on. You guys that are here on Wednesdays, you see it. You see what happens on Sunday. You see what's happening here. You're here, and you're seeing how it all connects. But there's many people who don't. They're not here on Wednesday. They don't. They don't listen to the podcast. So it's it's kind of tough for to try to get it all in. I can't do that. I can't do everything we do on Wednesdays again on Sundays. It's just not going to work. But for you guys, it's really going to make sense. All right. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that. And. Uh, are more interested. Thank you, Lois, for asking me to do Deuteronomy. You asked me to consider it, and it 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 was confirmation basically because I have thought about it before. I, I I felt like I was being led to do that, and when you asked that question, I said, you know what? I think God's telling me something. So thank you. Uh, keep praying, keep reading the word, God speaking to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for caring so much about us and showing your love toward us. Even though we were sinners and, Father, we didn't deserve your love, but you gave it anyway. And, Father, you have given us a gift And Father, I pray that each and every one of us accept it. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.